Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, April 10th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, hear reactions from Mississippi's Syrian community and the state's congressional delegation about the airstrikes ordered by President Trump. Because everyone is suffering no matter what on all aspects, from daily day living, from losing family, from families being tortured, being imprisoned. I think uh, much more needs to be done, but hopefully this is the first right step. Mississippians are more likely to contract sexually transmitted infections. Find out why the state's numbers are so high. Then, after Everyday Tech, we'll hear from the Teacher and Administrator of the Year. Plus, the state superintendent weighs in on the surprising results of the state auditor's cybersecurity report. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians and legislators are still reacting to American aggression in Syria. President Donald Trump ordered missile strikes on a Syrian Air Force base Thursday. That after Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's forces launched a chemical attack against civilians. Dozens of people died. A native of Syria living in Mississippi tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he supports Trump's decision. He chose to be identified as Muhammad. I think, first of all, it's way overdue. That should have happened a long time ago under previous administration. Um, I think everyone knows now the situation in Syria. We have a dictatorship who has been ruling Syria for 20 years, took over his father, who ruled Syria for 30 years, um, under complete dictatorship. And um, when people decided finally enough is enough, they want just to smell the freedom, see, act like any other human being acting, they kind of um, tried to do anything to prevent this from happening. So far, we have half a million people of Syrian people killed, innocent children, women, uh, elderly people, and we have six to eight million refugees, some of them outside, some of them refugees inside Syria. I think what President Trump has done is absolutely needed. It's a strong message, especially when a chemical weapon which is forbidden internationally being used on his own people to kill civilian. I think that was great what President Trump did. Do you have family over there now? Yes, unfortunately. Did you lose any family in the chemical attacks? No, the chemical attack happened in different city. Tell us, what has it been like for folks in Syria? What do you hear from your family? Most of the Syrian people, if not all of them, are happy about what happened, but unfortunately, no one can talk about it. Even myself, I live in USA. I, I cannot talk about it in, in front of certain people because if the government or any of those spies work for the government, till the government, my entire family could be in jeopardy. That's the way we've been living in Syria for years. They hope after six years of this uh, killing by, by a bad regime, hopefully the, the end of the... The end of the tunnel starts lightening up because everyone is suffering no matter what on all aspects, from daily day living, from losing family, from uh, families being tortured, being imprisoned. I think uh, much more needs to be done, but hopefully this is the first right step towards freedom of Syria. What is life like on a daily basis 
in Syria now you can divide it basically into two areas. One area which is completely co- controlled by the regime, by Iran, by Hezbollah, where the president is from, which is the coastal area. This area is kind of quiet, but the living on a daily basis is horrible. People are losing money. They don't have money to live. Electricity, like for example, that's where my family from. They have one to two hours electricity a day. Water, sometimes two, three days, they don't see the water. On the other side, the inner side of Syria, where ISIS and, and, and Nusra and uh, Russia and all those players in, it's much, much worse. Uh, they don't have electricity for months. Water, it, if it comes like once every two, three weeks, they are so lucky. And regarding to the northeast of Syria, where ISIS is mostly uh, controlling that area, Raqqa, life is literally hell on earth. I don't know how those people are still surviving. I mean, at the top of everything, the financial, the social aspect, those ISIS, which we mostly in Syria think they are a bunch of criminals, they are controlling that area and making life horrible. I need people to know that people in Syria are suffering and they appreciate any help on any level, financially, medically, um, calling their representatives here to do more for Syria. I mean, you have innocent people, innocent children, innocent elderly people living there. They have nothing except the regime killing and torturing people. Please do it for the sake of humanity. Well, Mr. Mohammed, thank you. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. MPB's Desiree Fraser with native Syrian Mohammed. Mississippi Republican Senator Roger Wicker tells our Desiree Fraser he supports Trump's decision. I do support the president's decision. I, I uh, support it even more now that members of the House and Senate on a bipartisan basis have been briefed um, in a top secret briefing uh, by the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Why do you support him? I think it, it uh, was uh, called for, as a matter of fact, long overdue. This is by no means the first example of uh, Bashar Assad using sarin gas and uh, other forms of WMD. Um, frankly, we should have responded in a more muscular way in 2013, and maybe the situation on the ground would be different. But I think that for this new administration, to act as it did is appropriate. They sent a message that the use of poison gas needs to be totally discontinued. I think we've got world opinion on our side. Uh, our allies have expressed their support. And, uh, and frankly, I, I think even our adversaries understand that, that there are limits and there are places that, that you can't go under international law. This makes it clear we're not going to stand for it. It uh, clarifies that we view Bashar Assad as a war criminal, which he is and has been. And I think you're going to see bipartisan support uh, in the House and Senate for this action. Russia has called this an act of aggression. Do you anticipate uh, the U.S. becoming more involved in a conflict as a result of this? Uh, well, we're pretty involved uh, in, in the fight in Syria already. We're trying to rid the place of, of uh, ISIS. And I think we'll prevail there. Um, I think Assad has to go, and we might as well admit that, and that now needs to be one of our goals. With regard to the Russians, uh, there are things that they can say and would be expected to say. There are things that they could do and could have done 
that they didn't do. For example, use uh, defensive weapons against our missiles and against our aircraft. They did not do that. We didn't expect them to. And so um, it's interesting to watch not only what the Russians say, but what they actually do. Are you surprised at all by the president's decision in light of him having said that he didn't want to get involved in the affairs of other countries? It does mark, I do believe, a shift. I think it's based on the president of the United States seeing the fact, uh, having access to all of the information. And so it's not unusual at all for somebody to, to take the oath of office, to feel the magnitude of the responsibility, and to listen to the facts on the ground. Also, he's guided by very professional staff at this point. These are national security experts. They've been around the block time and time again. And I think he feels comfortable that he's being well advised. What do you think happens next? Well, we're going to be briefed by the president and the vice president in, in uh, coming days. You know, uh, Congress will, will uh, be uh, will be back in our home states uh, talking to the people, and I think that'll be actually helpful during this uh, week before Easter. But we're going to be briefed on the strategy, and, and we'll be interested to know uh, what the president wants to do going forward, what his view is on the need for congressional authorization uh, in view of his the precise decisions that he wants us to make. A spokesman for Republican Senator Thad Cochran says he believes the airstrikes into Syria were a proportional response to the crimes committed by the Assad regime against the Syrian people. As chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee, Senator Cochran expects additional dialogue with the administration regarding the further use of force as events unfold. MPB News contacted Mississippi's only congressional Democrat, Representative Benny Thompson. He was not available for comment. Coming up, a public health professor tells us why African-Americans in Mississippi are more likely to contract sexually transmitted infections. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Reports from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention rate Mississippians at higher risk for contracting sexually transmitted infections. In addition, despite similar sexual behavior, African Americans are even or seven times more likely to contract HIV than their white counterparts nationwide. The group also accounts for 50% of people living with HIV. Brown University public health professor Amy Nunn spoke to MPB's Alexis Ware after a speech at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. She says lower access to health care and insurance is one reason black people are more at risk for contracting sexually transmitted infections. We're in the middle of an expansion of many different kinds of STDs across the country, including gonorrhea and syphilis, and African Americans are disproportionately impacted by those diseases, as well as by HIV, and Mississippi has some of the highest rates of infection of any state in the country. So do you have any information on the numbers, those Mississippi numbers? For HIV, um, I think that Jackson is um, second in the country, I think after Memphis, What could be some of the underlying issues why HIV and other STIs are very prevalent in Mississippi? One major factor, we we tend to think of these things as problems that are behavioral in nature, but there are a lot of social and structural problems that affect people's um, HIV and STD rates. 
one of the most important ones is lack of insurance. In order to get prevention services, you usually need to be insured, or it's much easier to get services if you're insured. And so a lot of Mississippi has um, relatively low rates of insurance, and also the Medicaid qualification rates are pretty high in It's hard to get Medicaid services in the state of Mississippi. And um, the other thing is um, sexual networks or the way that people are connected directly and indirectly through sexual contact. So I'll give you an example of how geography impacts people's HIV risks. So there are a lot of factors other than behaviors that can put people at risk for HIV acquisition. Um, One of those is where you live. That doesn't mean that people in your neighborhood are engaged in higher risk behaviors. It just means that there might be more virus in your social network. That's a huge factor influencing racial disparities in HIV infection. Also, a lot of people are unaware of their HIV status. And if you are aware of your status, you tend to change your behaviors. You tend to change your condom-using behaviors. You tend to change the number of sexual partners that you might have. And if you don't know that you're infected because you haven't been screened or because you might be uninsured, you're much less likely to change your behaviors. So you could unknowingly transmit HIV to other people. And that's a huge challenge in Mississippi as well. The other thing is that Mississippi has uh, the highest AIDS-related mortality rate of any state in the country. And that's probably because of what I just mentioned, that a lot of people are uninsured and they may not know that they have HIV and then they're diagnosed late in the course of their disease. We can really ramp up screening and treatment for people who are at high risk early in the course of their infection, then we can have a huge impact on um, getting people into treatment and care services. Amy Nunn is the Associate Professor of Public Health at Brown University. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thanks for having me. April is STI Awareness Month. Coming up, the major differences between a laptop and desktop, from portability and functionality to costs. That's on Everyday Tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Wilts Couture. Good morning, Wilts. How are you today? Hey, doing wonderful. How are you, Sherita? Doing great. Today, we'll talk about the difference between a laptop and a desktop, which system functions the best, which is more or less costly, and which is easier to repair and upgrade. So who needs a desktop? Are we talking about folks who work from home? Well, you know, I think a lot of it just kind of comes down to how you're going to use it. For example, my wife uses a desktop. She's not really too concerned with the portability of it. She has it in the office for pictures with the kids, doing the bills, researching things online. And so the portability wasn't of interest to her. In the office, we see there's a few of our teammates up there. And they're going to have a desktop there because really the grabbing it and moving on, they're not nearly as interested or needing that functionality because the other piece that comes into play there is you pay for portability. So that portability, that laptop's going to cost a little bit more. So for that person who's not really worried about taking it on the go with them, it's not really worth that extra expense. You can get a little bit more computer for a little bit less money. Do you need a desktop and a laptop at home? Personally, I don't believe so. Um, For me, the way that I actually work, I use a laptop, and what I'll do is I'll do what's called docking when I go to the office. So I'll plug it in to an adapter. It can be like a USB adapter or something like that. And what that does when I'm at the office, when I plug this in, I get the desktop experience. I have my dual monitors. I have my full-size keyboard and my regular mouse and, and all my you know peripherals that go with that. And then when I'm done at the end of the day, I literally remove that one cable. 
I can go home and then plug into another docking station at my house that gives me those same kind of features. So I get kind of the best of both worlds. I get the portability. My information is staying with me, but I have those full-size features that people tend to like. Even people who have a, a laptop, they always want to have an external mouse. Uh, mm-hmm. We got that question yesterday. Some people were, were visiting in the office like, hey, do you have a mouse? I don't want to use this little trackpad. So let's talk a little bit more about functionality when we compare processors and laptops and desktops. Is one better than the other? I don't know if I would really go as far as to say better, but probably better suited. Generally, the processors and such that we're seeing in laptops and desktops now are all very similar. That same i5, i7s for Intel. Those are the same devices being used, whether they're portable or non-portable. What it really comes down to is some of the additional features such as graphics. You will see a lot of people who are gamers, for example, will use a desktop computer because you can put much larger graphics cards into them. One of the reasons of that is that graphics cards and those high-end things like that tend to put off a lot of heat. It's very hard to dissipate a lot of heat in these little small laptops like we're seeing. Heat is really one of their biggest hurdles they have to tend to overcome. So you'll see some advanced features. Sometimes the upgradability in a desktop may be a little bit higher. It's a little bit easier to add some things to them, but that's really their biggest advantage. So let's just say something goes wrong with the laptop or desktop. Is it easier to repair the desktop than the laptop? Definitely, in my opinion. There's a lot more room you can work in. If you've uh, if you've ever really just taken a look at your laptop, depending on what model you have, for example, I use a Microsoft Surface. There's not even a screw I can open to get into it. I'm not going to be able to get into that device to change anything, to change out the memory, to swap out the hard drive. I'm pretty much stuck with the option of going back to the manufacturer. Whereas, like I mentioned, my wife has a desktop computer. I can go right up to it, turn a couple of screws. I'm inside if I'm needing to change some components out. Much, much easier to to work on. Final question. Would you recommend getting a desktop or a laptop refurbished or used, or is new always better? Really, I'm actually kind of a fan of the refurbished programs. A lot of different manufacturers, including your Apples, your HPs, your Dells, they will actually sell some refurbished I'd also remind folks that we're coming up toward the end of the school year. Some of your schools will be selling off some of the uh, MacBook Airs that the students have been using when they're done using them. So the refurbished market out there is actually pretty strong. Quite honestly, with the hardware nowadays, with some of those devices, I believe it's pretty reliable. I think it's definitely something worth looking into, especially when you're watching that bottom line. You don't need to go out and spend thousands of dollars just to get out there and use some of the technology at your fingertips. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about laptops and desktops and tablets on Everyday Tech, the show this coming Wednesday morning at 10. You can always send us an email before or during the show to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Couture, I'm Sherita Brent. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Thanks for listening. Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Department of Education is moving forward despite not having an education funding bill from the legislature. State Education Superintendent Carrie Wright tells MPB's Mark Rigsby she was surprised by the findings of a cybersecurity audit that discovered explicit material on nearly one quarter of public school issued computers in nine school districts. And with the selection of the 2017 Teacher and Administrator of the Year, she says it is critically important to recognize teachers and administrators. There was a report released by the state auditor's office. Mm -hmm. They did a cyber 
security audit uh-huh. for public school issued computers, laptops, tablets. It was a very small sample size. Nine that. school districts, 150 devices, devices that were tested. And of those, 20% were found with inappropriate material, explicit mm-hmm. material like pornography. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Well, I, I've got to admit, I was, I was a bit surprised. I mean, it's 2017, so I guess I just made uh, the assumption that, that all districts um, had uh, firewalls or something of that nature to protect children from being able to access the Internet. I know a district that I've worked in in the past... Um, that had been in play. So it wasn't, it was something that was automatically done at the district level. I do know that any of our districts that are receiving E-rate money, of which all of our districts are, are required to develop policies and procedures around protecting children from uh, what they should not be viewing on the Internet. So knowing that, my assumption was that those policies and procedures were being executed. So now that this report's come out, uh, obviously what we'll do is we'll step back. Uh, I'll meet with my um, technology team uh, back at MDE and say, what kind of technical assistance can we be providing? Um, Do we need a broader statewide policy um, around this? Um, Because the last thing that we want are children being able to access something that is inappropriate. And so um, if that's what it takes uh, for us to ensure that that's going to happen, then I think that's the step that we need to make. How important is it to recognize the administrator and the teacher of the year in Mississippi? It is critically important. Um, This brings me great joy every year to come down here and recognize all of our teachers that have been recognized, our administrators. Um, I've often said you cannot thank a teacher or an administrator enough because they're really the unsung heroes of our state. I mean, they go in each and every day doing the very best that they can to ensure that our little ones are getting the best possible education to make sure that they're successful in whatever they choose to do in life. Carrie, thank you very much for being on the program today. We do appreciate your time. You're welcome. Anytime. Luke Daniels is the 2017 Mississippi Teacher of the Year. The sixth grade math teacher at Petal Upper Elementary tells MPB's Mark Rigsby his achievement in the classroom is much bigger than just one person. Uh, it's definitely not something that I ever would have expected, and, and I'm, I'm kind of fighting the feeling of feeling like I don't deserve it, but I, I, I don't think that anybody who stood up there and said that they deserved it, really would deserve it. I, I really is a, a team effort and a team approach, and, and, and what I said in my speech was true, that any kind of success that I've ever experienced in education is really a result of, of the, the network of people around me. Talk about, briefly, some of the accomplishments and some of the challenges that you have as a teacher in the classroom. Okay. I would say my, my biggest accomplishment, or, or what I would hope to be uh, my biggest accomplishment, is just getting students to buy into... Um, the fact that they are capable learners. Uh, so many people by, by this age, whether it's middle school like I'm currently teaching or whether it's high school, have decided that they're not good at this or not good at that. And I'm wanting for people to see that they're capable and that their, their current state of, of ability is, doesn't have to be uh, their, their ultimate state of ability. The biggest challenge, I believe, in, in education is getting students to pursue greatness and not to just pursue uh, mediocrity. A lot of the students who are the, the hardest to, to get to buy into that idea of, of growing yourself are the ones for whom learning is c- kind of comes easily, but they never push themselves to become that, that truly uh, great level that they could reach. Congratulations on your award, and thanks for being on the program. Thank you so much. I the, appreciate it. The 2017 Administrator of the Year is Jessica Broom, principal at Pearl Junior High. She tells our Mark Rigsby she is honored for the award. 
it's an honor that I never thought would be bestowed, but um, and so humbled. I, I think it's precious as an opportunity to represent administrators across the state and be the voice of administrators and certainly the voice of students. And so I want to be able to know their challenges and bring them to a larger scale. Jessica Broom is assistant principal at Pearl Junior High. Both Broom and Daniels received a check for $5,000. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, now you're talking with Marshall Ramsey. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org. I'm Karen Brown. Join Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi edition comes from Trustmark, featuring Trustmark Deposit Express. ATMs for business and personal banking. No deposit slips, no envelopes, no waiting. Most deposits made by 9 p.m. weekdays are credited that day. Details at Trustmark.com, member FDIC.